Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, March 3rd, 2016. And today we begin our reading from the big book and we are at page 40, the very first paragraph. Today's readers are Amanda R. on the 12 Steps, Rita P. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Chelsea H., Nicole S., and Kathy K. The reference number for Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, is 8504. 8504. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Amanda R. to read the Overeaters Anonymous 12 Steps. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. This is Amanda R., a recovering compulsive overeater in Maine. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, I pass. Thank you very much, Amanda R. And now I will ask Rita P. to read for us the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, everybody. This is Rita P., compulsive overeater in Arkansas. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Number four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or land the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or communities directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me serve, and I pass. Thank you very much, Rita P. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book 
And we are on page 40. We are beginning with the very first paragraph. And um, I will ask Chelsea H. to lead us off. She will be reading the first two paragraphs. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning, Anita. Thanks for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater just for today. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive, for here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back nevertheless. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident I couldn't, it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows, that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. So this um, story here, this part of the story that Fred, much like myself, when I come into the rooms and I get well, I put the food down, I manage to stop for a while, lose some weight, and then I'm right back out. I leave the rooms again. And then I come crawling back in when the disease grabs hold of me again. And I'm perplexed because I, all I know about is that I have something, that I have this disease because I've heard people saying it. But I don't understand what the solution is because even here with this part, with Fred still standing on the bridge of reason, trying to use his own human resources, they hadn't told him about the solution because it said we told him what we knew about alcoholism. They told him about the strange mental twist and what happens before he would pick up. But they hadn't given him the solution like they had with Jim, because with Jim they told him what they knew of alcoholism and the solution they had found. But because Fred, like myself, wasn't able to admit that he truly was a compulsive eater or that I truly was a compulsive eater, I only had a piece of the solution, and I, did, I didn't know what I didn't know. So going back out, not armed with the facts or not armed with the solution that I needed to have that psychic change, that I needed to have all that, I, I would eat. I would eat again. I had no other choice. I had a biological mandate because I would ingest something that would trigger the allergy, set the cycle in motion, and then I would be, I, I don't know when I would stop. And if I did stop, I would start again. So the cycle would continue because I didn't have the information that I needed to know that I had to walk through the rest of the process. But at this point in the story, the people who are helping Fred here, they only told him part of it. So he didn't have enough to help him stop, stay stopped, even with all of his willpower and staying on guard because it wasn't even there because his sound reasoning, it told us earlier, that runs parallel with the insane reason. Insane reason wins out every time. 
So it's very important for me to know that, first of all, working with someone, too, I may not be able to give them the solution until they're ready to admit that they are that because they won't go after the solution. They'll do like Fred and like what I did. They'll leave the rooms thinking that they got this thing because self-knowledge. Thanks for letting me share. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Chelsea H. Who else would like to share on one of these paragraphs? Nessa R. Nessa. Matt M. Wait just a minute. Matt M. And was that Melissa? Kathy K. Kathy K. Ronnie T. Just a minute. Uh, Was that Sue G. and Ronnie P. Uh huh. Tina S. And Tina S. Larry. And Larry. Larry. I'll put you at the end here, Larry. Well, but did I hear Melissa C or didn't I? All right, I'm dreaming. Yeah. All right. You did. You did hear Melissa C. Uh, oh, you know what, Melissa? You're very bre- breaking up. If you can move somewhere, I'll put you in there and see if you can get clearer by the time it's your turn. Okay. okay. Sure. Okay. All right, well, then let's start with, um, we have Nessa, Matt, hopefully Melissa C., Kathy K., Sue G., Ronnie P., Tina S., and followed uh, by Larry. So please begin, Nessa. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., um, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. I um, I love the story of Fred. Um because uh, not only it highlights the insanity um, that precedes the first drink, it highlights the fact that knowledge and self-knowledge is not enough um, to uh, make me stop and keep me stop. But there's another reason. Um, I used to think that the reason I overate was because my life sucked, because I didn't have enough money, because you know, my children didn't do this and because my husband did that and my neighbors this and the dog that, um, you know, my compulsive overeating was everybody else's uh, uh, fault except, except my own. And what this disease tells me is, no, you're not eating because of your circumstances. You're eating because you have an allergy of the body and you have an obsession of the mind. You know, and here's this guy, Fred, who has everything that I didn't think I had, you know, a great family life, great marriage, great kids, lots of money, a successful career. He seems to be in control of his, of his, of his own job. Um, in other words, in, in my old uh, way of thinking, um, he, this guy had no reason to drink. This guy had absolutely no reason to drink because everything was going for him. And, you know, in all those years that I thought, that if you had my problems, you'd be too. I conveniently disregarded the fact that when I was happy, I overate also. So what, what was the reason then? And it is that reason, that peculiar mental twist that leads me to believe that once I, I have stopped, that that qualifies me to eat like normal people. I will never, ever be able to eat like a normal person. I never ate like a normal person, I will never be able to eat like a normal person. And I need to um, 
I need to internalize that and, and act on it um, by um, keeping the food down and working the steps because it is only the steps that um, address that peculiar mental twist. I put down the food in step one, but steps two through 12 are meant to remove the blockages and keep me unblocked from my higher power, who is my solution, who is uh, the, the sole provider of a permanent sense of ease and comfort that I always sought in the food but could never, ever get. And uh, Fred is just a, a beautiful illustration of, of that fallacy of thinking. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Nessa R. And Madam, it's your turn. Hi, good morning, uh, moderator. Good morning, fellow visionaries. My name is Matt M. I'm a compulsive overeater uh, in New Jersey. Um, yeah, I've been struggling with this idea that, you know, foreknowledge is forewarned. You know, I think that I have all the answers in the world that I, because I know so much about my disease that I've been in the rooms eight years and I know it all. Like, I'm just like Fred. Like, you know, I, I struggle with the food constantly. Last night I did too. You know, I almost got kicked out this morning because I, I have a hard time with honesty. And I think Fred was being blind to himself too. He's not honest with himself that, he can't concede to his innermost self that he's a true um, alcoholic. I sometimes do that to myself, that I'm a true compulsive overeater because I just have a lot of weight to lose or a little weight to lose, but, you know, I'm not like you guys, you know. I'm not as so far gone, but I am stage four. This disease is terminal, as I've heard other people share. This is disease, the disease of isolation. It's the disease of lies. It really is the rapacious creditor, like it says in the 12 and 12. But, like, for me, um, I'm the kind of person that will tell everybody what they want to hear and then go do what I want anyway. I'm very good at telling people you know, that um, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and then I'll go D, I'll go D, E, and F, you know. Um, I'm also the kind of person that, um, as a defense mechanism, I used to lie all the time because uh, I had to survive my childhood my family. They were good people. They just basically used what I I did against me all the time, you know, bringing up the past. You know, my family did not know how to let anything go. So, like, the lying, is, it, it, I don't need that anymore, but it, it still somehow, somehow serves me. I don't know where why it does, but I just lie like, like when, I, when the truth would serve me better especially with the person I live, who's a recovered person. And I'm just trying to understand why I'm so stubborn and why I can't get to that last, over that last hump. I know I'm a compulsive overeater. My life has become unmanageable. I got kicked out of two places I moved into recently. And where I'm living now is the last house on the block, and I'm already irritating them that I'm living with. So it's like, for me, um, it's not about just admitting I'm a compulsive overeater. It's admitting defeat. Power, I am powerless. And, uh, because this disease has me over a barrel, and, you know, I, I can very easily put on that 200 pounds I lost in a couple months because that's how much I can eat. Little, It could be either by grazing or by packing it away like there's no tomorrow. So for me, I understand what Fred's going through. I'm in that point where, like, you know, I'm an almond compulsive overeater. I know nothing else can save me with the program, but I'm still that part of me. I'm trying to go over that last part of denial that's keeping me in the food, that's keeping that's keep me in the disease. So I'm uh, very grateful I read this today because it's very giving me an opportunity to get well. I can only have today. I only have today. I don't have tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow or yesterday. And I want to go forward, not backwards. So I'm very grateful this was read today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam. And Melissa, let's see if we can hear you. Go ahead. Hi. Am I able to be heard now? Uh, No, you're very broken up this morning. I'm sorry. you, but I, I, I don't think we can understand it today. All right, Kathy. Okay, thank you. Kathy? Uh, thank you, Anita. This is Kathy Kay from Massachusetts. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. 
I too just really find this story uh, so helpful and uh, have underlined here I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink. I was convinced it would not happen to me after what I had learned. So, um, you know, I spent my first 10 years in program learning as much as I could about the disease. Um, and I did a lot of therapy before and during those years to understand the reasons I ate, um, but I was not able, I was still powerless over my thinking and my insanity, um, and there was absolutely nothing that I could do uh, to refrain from that insanity at some point, because I did not have a higher power who would be able to transform me and make those emotional rearrangements that were so necessary to have um, a life of abstinence and recovery. And like others have said, I had layers and layers and layers of denial, and I was a high-functioning addict. And um, there were many points when I would have months of abstinence where I thought, okay, I have finally got it, and then something would happen, and um, I would take that first bite. And it was because I was relying on myself and my thinking and my limited uh, power and resources to control uh, people, places, and things, and my own behavior as well. So I think this story, um, because Fred tells it in such detail, uh, helps me to remember the insidious nature of my disease. Um, And even when I'm feeling really good, I need to um, keep this uh, understanding at the forefront of my mind so that when something happens, or I'm feeling agitated in any way, uh, I can go to my higher power for help um, so that I won't start thinking that food might be an okay uh, answer. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Kathy Kay. And Sue G, good morning. Good morning, Anita J. It's Carol G. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Go Good morning. Thank Good you. Morning. Uh, it's Carol G. Compulsive Overeater Recovered just for today. Good morning, Vision, for you. Um, this chapter for me continues to keep describing what happens when my mind wakes up the hunger in my body that wasn't there. Um, I, we heard no more from Fred for a while. That's me. <laughs> That's me regrouping, picking myself up off the floor, um, dusting myself down, and coming up with another plan. Uh, to fix myself Um, and so I look at this and I think well when I'm in my anorexic phase I'm controlling I'm organizing getting my diet together and when I'm in my compulsive phase (laughs) I'm flat on the back on my back on the floor going oh no how did I get here again Um, so is it obvious to me that keeping on guard no longer works for me yes very obvious but because the problem centers in my mind and my mind can twist it's not always obvious to me straight away it's obvious to me now, now that I'm recovered, because 
the longer your head's cleared, the more you can see what's really going on here. Uh, whereas before that, I just had to trust in the book, what the book said, and I had to trust in the guide that was taking me through the book um, because I was still being driven to eat the food and I couldn't tell the difference between the craving of my mind and the craving of my body. They felt the same. And this chapter again tries to let me see these two problems working together, that my body is not actually hungry when I take the first compulsive bite. I just ate breakfast and yet I used to eat um, I ate food even when I didn't need food and no wonder I felt that I'd lost my self-confidence and no wonder I focused on abstinence as being the only thing to keep me sober but you know I it always failed I can't exercise my will anymore it's run out and um, if my mind wants to eat I'm eating and what's so crazy is that my body didn't want the food in the first place I only thought I did it's like I don't have body hunger I get mind hunger Head hunger, fantasy hunger. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. Most people have flashbacks about great holidays, romantic moments. I used to have flashbacks about the last thing I ate and when would I get it again? Uh, you know, and I am without mental defense and my mind will tell me that I need food that I don't physically need. Imagine this. If you went to vote for your favorite candidate in an election and your mind convinced you that you had to vote for the opposite you know, person, president, prime minister for your country, when you came out of the booth, wouldn't you be absolutely furious that you voted for the wrong man? That's what my head can do. I can make a decision, my head will twist, and the, it's so powerful, it changes my mind. It, it stops me being able to see what's going on, basically. Can't see the truth from the false. Ah, so by the grace of God and the power of this program and the work in this book, I'm experiencing freedom from that mental obsession. Thank you so much, Vision, for you. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you very much, Carol G. And good morning, Ronnie P. It's your turn. Uh, okay. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for your service. This is Ronnie P., uh, grateful, recovering, uh, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, listening to the reading um, just reminds me how much I always wanted to be uh, when it came to when it came to food, to be normal, you know, and I think I had this idea that there was this great big grand normal that was out there, <clears throat> and I just wanted to be part of that. And then I realized that I was in denial because it's not that I was abnormal; I was denying what is normal for me. And what's normal for me is that I've got this really, um, I've got this this reaction to certain kinds of foods, that's my normal. That's not abnormal, that's my normal. So I need to accept my normal. And somehow, when I did that, it sort of took away even some of the feeling that, you know, there's something wrong with me and God's going to help me not be wrong. And instead, you know, higher power helped me just have some radical acceptance of what's true. And what's true is that certain foods trigger reactions in me that are no good. Um, and I also have thoughts that trigger actions in me that are no good. That's my reality. That's not abnormal. It's who I am. And if I want to have relief from that, the only way is through reliance on a higher power. And for me, the only way that that has worked is by using the 12 steps to get to the higher power. 
Steps 10, 11, and 12 are about us staying with what's true by, you know, meditating and getting closer to the higher power that is ours alone. And to anybody, like to any newcomers on the line, I would just say the big thing here is that you have your own higher power. It's not mine. It's not someone else's, you know. So getting clear of the food and working these steps will help you develop a greater and greater nuanced understanding and knowledge of your own higher power. And then if you yield to that, your higher power will show you even more. So, you know, I realized that my own, you know, to rely only on my intellect, um, you know, my imagination is far too limited. And I think I would always look forward and think, all right, I can imagine what this is. Therefore, you know, that must be how life will be after recovery. Um, I have prayed for and I work on the capacity to be surprised and to not have that seem as something scary, but have that come, you know, come over as something that is rock solid to rely upon. And, you know, the steps in the program just, just help me. They help me do that. Um, and, you know, when uh, the times I've come into program and once I had a time. Oh, sorry. Thank you. So that's all I have to say. Thanks so much. I pass. Okay. Thank you very much, Ronnie. You're welcome. And, uh, um, Tina S., it's your turn, followed by Larry. Thanks, Anita. Uh, Tina S., compulsive reader, anorexic in Florida. Um, Love Fred. Love Fred. Uh, you know, for me also, you know, it, there came this that time when I was flat on my back because of the subtle insanity, which sounded like a great idea to me, whatever it was that was going on in my great magnificent mind. Um, but I know today that lack of power is certainly my dilemma. And no matter how many different ways I tried to exercise it, you know, it, it failed me utterly. You know, it just did. And, you know, with the the insanity of the disease, you know, my, my great mind told me, you know, I'm also, I'm a compulsive eater, I'm also anorexic, and anorexic in the last um, phases of my active disease, uh, I thought that was a great idea, you know, in order to not gain weight, let's just not eat, period. I thought that sounded fabulous, you know, didn't think of the consequences of, you know, after a period of time, it affected my mind, and I know other people that doesn't, but I couldn't think, you know, and, uh, you know, and then I ended up, you know, back into treatment and without being able to think. And, and the only way I was able to get up and walk again, I love that those analogies in, in the book, you know, was with a power greater than myself. You know, I had to let God take care of the outcome of the actions I believe he wants me to take today. And I'm not perfect by any means, and it's progress, but I asked God in the morning what I can do for this, the man that is still sick. How can I do his will today? And I just have to trust that he's going to guide me and let him take care of the outcomes because I still want to take care of the outcomes sometimes. So with that, I pass, and thank you all. Thank you very much, Tina S. And Larry, good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Uh, Larry, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. So here's, here's Fred. It, it says um, what I read in here is... Um, you know, with Fred, it talks about the fact that, uh, you know, he exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, and yet here he was on his, his back, nevertheless. You know, I, I meet these people. Perhaps you meet these people, too. I meet them in face-to-face meetings, people like Fred. I certainly can relate to Fred and my 
in my history. Um, these people like Fred, they call me, you know, some email, text, you know, they, they really understand that they're, they're between a, a rock and a hard place. But um, I, think, I think what happens sometimes is the, we intellectualize as a defense mechanism. I know I did. We intellectualize as a defense mechanism, and um, you know we don't see the gravity of of the situation. And um, you know it's it's tough to see. It's sad to see. Um, I'm sure it was for people uh, that, that would see me. Sometimes you you know you, you can you can think you're too wise for this for this program, and uh, think you got it figured out. You know, I don't believe, this is just my opinion, I don't speak for anyone but myself, but I don't believe in, you know, in, you know, a chronic relapser. I always like to call myself that, that I was mostly abstinent. After all, I was mostly abstinent. abstinent. I was mostly involved in this program. You know, there's either recovered or not recovered, really. That may sound, you know, kind of, kind of, I don't know how that may sound to you, but I really believe that today based on my experience that one's either recovered or not. By the way, someone who's recovered isn't someone who's, uh, you know, morally superior. Uh, I can assure you that if this was based on morals and, you know, and, and you know, philosophies and, and all that kind of stuff that, uh, um, you know, I, I didn't earn this. I probably would be dead today, to be quite honest with you, if it was based on that. I didn't earn this. Um, what happened was, is I worked some simple steps, and then I was transformed. I was inwardly restructured towards a God-centered consciousness, but it took some humility on my part. I will tell you that. It took some humility, because this was never about, the bottle was just a symptom. The bakery box was just a symptom. What really had to happen is we had to move uh, to a to a to a place of humility that we can accept that we needed God's help, and then once we got to that place of humility, then God begins to change us through these steps, through through these actions, and then we no longer are that chronic relapser anymore. It's quite extraordinary. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Larry. And um, who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Charles H. Monica, Charles, Monica, Tina H, and Leah M, but there was one other person. Sharon H. Sharon H. All right, let's go with these five and let's see how where we are at that point. Charles, good morning. Good morning, Anita J. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater just for today. Um, Fred reminds me daily, on a daily basis, that outside stuff ain't going to help me. Uh, look, at, look, at, look at the New Jersey governor, not to take his inventory, but, you know, when people say that, they take it. So he got some money, but he also got some, uh, some issues, not just because of – I mean, it's just because of, right? And – you know, this reminds me of a doctor's opinion where it says a few simple step, a few simple rules. Now, for me, a few means three. That means 10, 11, and 12, of course, after going through the action process, right? Because one, two, and three is ready, set, go. Um, you know, not a cloud in the sky, everything going good. 
but the thought, right? The mental obsession. Um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Like me and my wife, you know, I stayed home from work. I self-sacrificed because she said she was sick. I said, okay, I stay home from work. Sometimes you do things for people and they don't appreciate it, but I got a few simple rules that I could follow um, that could get me out of that. I wrote that I was resentful towards her, and, 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 and but, but I didn't have to pick up over it. If I didn't have these few simple rules, you can best believe Burger King, Mr. Burger King, I would have been there, Mr. McDonald's, yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken, all those things, the convenience store, the 7-Eleven, the bodegas, and the listens infinity. So, yeah, you know, outside stuff is nice, but it ain't going to fix your insides. I don't care how much money you got and, 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 and how much things you got going on for you on the exterior. It's the interior. It's the insides. What's, what, what, what's eating you? It's not what you eat. What's eating you that makes me make these decisions? And, and, and good old Fred, man, he had to be pretty mangled. I could identify him with that. I had to be beaten down to a pulp mentally in order for me to get some help. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Charles H. And good morning, Monica. You're up. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. in Florida, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, and another subtitle for this chapter I was told is, What Will Happen to You If You Don't Accept the Solution? So here we are with Fred, and, each, and, and in this chapter we're being given a number of different stories of different scenarios, so hopefully we're going we're gonna to be able to identify with something. So here's Fred, a chap, absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns. Yet, yeah, flat on his back. Let him tell you about it. And this is, uh, I was pointed out to me when I was reading this with my guide. She said, okay, Monica, I want you to circle every eye you come to. And in this particular um, paragraph here, there are 11 eyes. I was much impressed. I frankly did not believe. I rather appreciated. I was confident. That was Monica. I was confident. I can do these things. I reasoned. You know, my keen intellectual mind when it came to food had a lot of wonderful reasoning going on. I was not as far advanced as you guys. You know, and I'd been successful in, in, in licking a lot of other personal problems. I, I, I. So I really could identify with this. Me, myself, and I. That had been my philosophy all my years. Monica can do this. Monica can take care of herself. Nobody else will. And I had done a pretty darn good job. Thank you very much. Except for this one area. And what has happened to Fred and what has happened to me? I was screwed. I was in the corner. I wanted to stop and I could not stop. I couldn't do it. Not on my own. Not all my smarts. And I, hey, I think I'm not the, you know, the brightest light bulb in the chandelier, but I'm up there. And the knowledge I had gotten about this and this, you know, and all this stuff, but it didn't work. I needed the solution. A power greater than me that could do for me. And I had to stop comparing. I had to identify because the comparing just kept me in the corner. And with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, Monica T. And Sharon H., you're next, followed by Tina. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado by God's Grace and These 12 Steps. Um, <clears throat> I really appreciate what Monica said about the 11 eyes. And what really hit home for me, and didn't for many, many years, um, was the connection in the doctor's opinion that I did have a seemingly, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And these stories just reaffirmed that for me. With, with Jim, you know, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He was irritated and he didn't do a step work on that. That led him back to drinking. And with Fred, he believed all this self-knowledge that he had gotten uh, and told, was told by these gentlemen that that, that would... Uh, completely keep him from ever doing that again. Uh, like you said here, I had every right to be self-confident that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. And I have experienced that in my life too for many years. So I'm just so grateful today that <clears throat> I do understand to the core of my being today I have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And it's only through the process of these steps, the action steps 4 through 9, and then living in steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis that I get that daily reprieve. And I'm so grateful for that today. And I just want to encourage everyone out on the line to keep coming back because when we follow the format in this book, it really does make the difference. And we do live free in spite of all the ups and downs of life that we will experience. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Sharon H. And is it Tina, Tina P? Is there a Tina here? Another Tina? All right, I guess I heard an echo from the previous. How about Leah M? Thanks so much, Anita. Uh, I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems and I would therefore be successful where you men failed. Um, you know, in reading about Fred here, <laughs> there's certainly a recipe for disaster going on. Uh, he's got uh, denial of the step one to begin with. He's got a nasty combination, a nasty brew of arrogance going on, self-reliance, a sense of entitlement. Um, you know, as was previously mentioned, the me, myself, and I syndrome is going on. And me, myself, and I is no match for this disease as Fred's, you know, found out. Uh, this example, you know, is showing that a high-bottom drunk like Fred, who still has his career, his family's intact, you know, he's a charming fellow, a high-bottom drunk uh, gets drunk the same way as a low-bottom drunk. Both are going to believe a lie before they take up that first drink. So what the big book is slamming home here in Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, is the greater aspect of the disease resides in our minds. And it's all got to start with that um, admittance of powerlessness because Fred cannot at the same time accept that he's without defense against that first drink and also believe that his knowledge, whatever he gained uh, in speaking with fellows, that his 
willpower, that staying on guard is going to provide him with sufficient defense against that first drink. You know, he if if Fred accepts that he's powerless, then by implication he accepts that he can't keep sober himself, by himself. If he believes that he can keep himself sober through keeping on guard or willpower, etc., then he isn't accepting he's powerless. You know, and, and that is the essence of step one. You know, because unless... I humbled myself by taking step one. I did not need the rest of the program. Because if I think I have the power over this disease, then I don't need to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. Then where's the urgency and necessity for the steps? And that's kind of the uh, conundrum, you know, that OA put me in a little bit with, you know, keeping on guard. Because more than, you know... Abstinence uh, is like putting a Band-Aid on a fatal wound. The treatment is not adequate for the condition. Because the monkey seemed like it was off my back with abstinence, but the circus was still in town, you know. So I kept picking up that first bite, picking up that first bite. Because the greater aspect of my disease, the obsession of the mind, was still alive and well. And I thank you. I pass. Thank you very much, Leah M. Does anybody else want to uh, share on these two paragraphs? Well, then I think we'll move on. Um, Nicole S., please continue the reading. Hi, this is Nicole S. I'm a um, compulsive reader, um, recovered. In this frame of mind, I went about my business, and for a time, all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. One day I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I had been out of town before during this particular dry spell, so there was nothing new about that. Physically I felt fine, neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all. Nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal, then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed, so I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxi cab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. And this um, story reminds me of, of how it used to be where I have, you know, he had his, uh, did his business, it went off well, it was the end of a perfect day, no cloud on the horizon. And um, many times I felt, felt that way that, you know, things were going great. Um, you know, when I was in college, I had 
finished an exam and it, it went great. Um, I studied, you know, studied hard for it, worked hard and did it and got a good grade on it and was really happy. Um, you know, other times I was times of, you know, just just happiness, things going on, um, not even thinking about food, no clouds on the horizon, end of a perfect day. And then the thought would just cross me, well, you know, why don't I just stop at Dairy Queen? Why don't I why don't I get some ice cream? You know, after all, I I deserve it. Um, I've worked hard, and and uh, you know, I want to rejoice a little bit. I want to celebrate. Um, and uh, not even thinking, you know, crossing my mind that I was doing anything, you know, uh, too smart <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, after that, just taking that that first. Um, that first decision to pick up the food, taking that first bite, and then just spending um, instead of rejoicing and celebrating, spending um, you know sometimes days of just absolute mental torture, um, just can't put the food down, um, and you know berating myself for I can't believe I picked up again, um, and uh, just that mental anguish and um, and just absolute torture feeling. You know, it used to take me, I, I would count the hours, it would take me 30, 30 hours to start feeling better from a, a binge. And um, for me, it was it was purging also. And um, so, you know, something that started, no clouds on the horizon, and then just absolute um, anguish and torture um, afterwards. So I can really relate to this. Um, it's really a good reminder um, about how, much um, even when things are going great, it's just my um, my mental obsession. It doesn't matter, you know, when I was happy, sad, um, lonely, and any emotion that would come up would uh, make me want to pick up the food. And uh, that's all I have. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, Nicole S. And who else would like to comment on these? Linda R. Linda from Boston. Okay, let's let's go with those three. Katie, uh, Linda, Katie G, and the third one was Suji. Suji, oh yes, I said you hours ago. <laughs> 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 All right, Linda, Linda R, please go ahead. Good morning. Hi, Linda R, recovered in South Florida. Grateful to the program and uh, recovered here. I love. Love you for doing service today. Thank you for everyone on the line. Anyway, what I, I just uh, turned on, you know, the vision just now, and um, what I'm hearing here, what's coming into my mind is the blackouts of the program, the unconsciousness, the trance, you know, that, you know, I never thought that, you know, food addicts could have blackouts, but when I look back, you know, on my history, there was such unconsciousness and unawareness. And what came into my mind was step two, because I always say, with step two, came to, came to believe. It's literal. I actually woke up. I came to, and I came to believe in a power greater than myself, which restores me to sanity on a daily basis. And uh, so that's what I really got from that, that, you know, he really, he was in a blackout phase. He didn't even know what hit him from all the use of the substance. It's a chemical blackout that eventually, once we worked the steps, and once I started really working steps and you know, found my higher power. Then I came to, I woke up, and today, thank you, dear God, I'm awake. Thanks, and have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much, Linda. And Katie G., you are up. 
next. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, you can. Good morning. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic for today. And um, I guess what this really brings to mind is a couple of things. One, A, I'm a compulsive overeater and I cannot manage my own life. And B, no human power and C, that God can and will if he is sought. And, you know, like no human power, guys, right? Like no job, no wedding proposal, no um, winning the lottery, nothing, nothing outside of me is going to fix me. And what I identify so much with Fred is like being an intellectual, guys, and that's my biggest problem is like, look, I'm KDG from Boston. Like, I'm so smart. I understand myself. And, you know, here, I'm going to manage this. I understand. I got it. Like, can't have one. No worries. I'll take it from here. And that is my biggest problem. And what's wonderful about this is, you know, the, the squiggly writing reminds me, I can't think my way out of this disease. That no amount of knowledge, even if I were smart enough to go to Harvard University, no amount of knowledge is gonna is gonna save me, guys. I am powerless. I have no power. I have no choice and I have no control. So I might will my way back into a food plan, but without God and without these steps and without this fellowship and working this program, like my life depends on it, I will go back. I I have, you know, I have a disease that, that promises me one thing I am going to use. And um, I just love this because how many times um, – I think for me the the most helpful thing to remember is I can't start eating again on the truth. And that's why I continue, continue, continue. And that's why my resentments, my selfishness, my fears, my dishonesties, that's why I must be so rigorous. Because if I start lying to myself and get back into self-righteous indignation, which I do, if you're in my life, if you're a sponsor or a sponsee or you're in my recovered community, you know that I'm not perfect. But what I am committed to is seeing where I'm wrong because if I'm not careful, my italics, my my threshold where I walk in and I re, I'm leisurely dressing for dinner and, you know, wouldn't one of this be nice? I will pick up again, no matter what. And so constant work, a day at a time, recovered, not cured, on, you know, of course, entire abstinence and my commitment to living and, you know, evolving in step 10, 11, and 12 so I can stay connected and out of the lives is my number one commitment each and every day. And I am doing it with you guys today. God bless. Thank you very much. Um, Katie G, can you, uh, I mean, Suji, can you give us a quick, Share. Sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was, un- I was yeah. unmuting. It takes me a second to unmute. All right. Um, um, Suji from Michigan. Um, first thing I notice is that his thoughts are not under God's control. He's having the mental obsession that turns into the physical and remains the physical until he has a blackout. Um, we sometimes... I sometimes, I'm trying to avoid the word I after all the talk we had about I. Um, but I sometimes, it's not always, I don't know if you've heard of halt, halt uh, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, but I, I, I celebrate. Um, things are going good, and 
I want to celebrate. Especially if my husband was celebrating, it's like, oh, he gets celebrated and he gets taken out and I don't. But it's a mental obsession that starts first for me. And then my thoughts then go under my control and they're not under God's control anymore. And uh, I guess that's what I want to share. Thanks. Pass. Thank you very much, Sue G. from Michigan. Um, well, we've come to the uh, end of this meeting, and we will end the way we always do with uh, a reading from the big book, A Vision for You. And I will ask Kathy Kay to read it for us. Thank you, Anita. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understood God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>